It is my great pleasure to introduce and announce the 15th House Church of the Forest. So we, yeah. So we just announced the 14th House Church, you know, Georgia. And I haven't met even Georgia, you know, missionary from Georgia, actually scheduled to have a Zoom this uh, Thursday. And, but we are still growing, and uh, we have a lot of uh, newcomers looking for the house church. So, you know, we asked Yemen House Church, and they graciously uh, sent out one of their core as a missionary. So it's a little different. It's not a multiplication, more like a sending out. We haven't done that before, but we have utmost, you know, confidence in the new shepherds. So Christy and Chris Kim, where are you? Would you stand wherever? Chris and Christy and Jackson. Yes. And uh, Christy is already serving a youth high school and girls as a shepherd and Bible study teacher and discipler. But she is, take, you know, she is again serving. I'm so, you know, uh, doubly grateful and overwhelmed with the joy that uh, many of us serving a double, triple duties. And uh, we are grateful, and uh, we'll pray for you. And uh, a special prayer request is uh, a family will join them, uh, not just any family, family with somebody that uh, Jackson also can bond. So, you know, Jackson will not be left out in that house church. Can I pray for the uh, house church 15, the Guadalajara house church? Let's pray together. Church Heavenly Father, I thank you and praise you. For each house church comes out of your love and your sovereign grace. As a Chris and Christy, Jackson and Reagan, they step up, Holy Spirit. Give them a double portion of your love and wisdom. And with the new members, we pray that they will build a really Christ-like, Christ-loving community to support one another and reach out to their non-Christian friends who are looking for the meaning of life. And truly, Lord, touch each other so that they can touch others with confidence and gratitude. We lift up Guadalajara House Church to you until daily fully mature and again multiply. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, children, thank you for extra patience. Follow your teachers. All right. Okay. Do you remember an important meal? Do you recall a very important, memorable meal in your life? Perhaps it was the first meal that you had with a person that you are married to now or the first Thanksgiving meal as a family, or your last school graduation dinner. You know, my, my memorial, memor, memorable meal was uh, uh, the breakfast that I had with uh, Jamie on our second date on Monday morning, 1992 in December, called, you know, in Boston. And uh, she didn't know 
that I was going to propose her right after the breakfast. So I had a, a bagel and cream cheese and obonpang and Cambridge Square. And uh, yeah, everything went uh, better than I expected. But I was so nervous the rest of the day, I was in and out of the restroom. But anytime I pass by Obonpang, I, you know, it remind, you know, I have a fond memory of that memorable meal. Now, do you have some memorable meals? Do you? All? Yeah? Ready? You do have a memorable meal, right? Okay. Now, imagine someone that you really, really don't like coming to your memorable meal. Someone that you don't want to see in your life showing up in your very important meal. That's what happened to today's story in Luke chapter 7. And let's read our passage, Luke chapter 7, verse 36 to 50, responsively. Okay? When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in the town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When, Pharisees, when the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii, the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now which of, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had a bigger debt forgiven. You have judged it correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put on oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I'll tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love's shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves a little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Together, Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Flowers fall. Grasses withers. But the word of God lasts forever. All right. Today's story is a vintage storytelling by Luke. At the introduction of Gospel Luke, I pointed out the Luke's Gospel mentioned eating or theme of a meal fellowship more than other Gospels. In today's dinner... Luke makes a great contrast between a sinful woman and religious man. Biblical scholars say that today's story is the preview of Luke chapter 15, 
You know, Luke chapter 15 is a magma opus of a gospel of love. Those of you taking Cornerstone, you know, that's the key passage where Jesus revealed the heart of the Father to us, right? Like Luke chapter 15, when the Pharisees and scribes complained to Jesus about his association with the tax collectors and sinners, that prompted Jesus to teach them the three famous parables of the lost. Today we find in Luke chapter 7 the criticism of a Pharisee and again Jesus teaching a parable. So now, look, now let's look at the setting of the story which actually entails a scandal. Scandal. Today's story took place in the house of Simon. And uh, three times in the first two verses, Luke emphasizes Jesus went to Pharisee's house. So verse 36, one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to dinner. And Jesus went to Pharisee's house. Verse 37, Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. Why does he mention Pharisee three times, you know, back to back? It was because Simon was not a close-minded Pharisee like his colleague. In the previous passage, right before today's story, Jesus actually talked about the typical Pharisees. So if you look at the, Luke chapter 7, chapter 7, verse 33, For John the Baptist came neither eating bread or drinking wine, and you say he has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and you say he's a gluten and drunkard a friend of tax collectors and sinners. According to Jesus, Pharisees were self-righteous, legalistic, conservative Jews who rejected anybody, opposed anybody who threatened their religious status quo and uh, uh, spiritual pride. That's why when they couldn't beat the greater spiritual discipline or ascetic you know, lifestyle of John the Baptist, they criticized him and called him a demon-possessed guy. And to Jesus, they gave an opposite name, gluten and drunkard. You know, it's more like a party animal. But Simon was a little different from all other Pharisees. He was curious about Jesus, like Nicodemus in John chapter 3. So scholars think that Simon's house was actually located in name. And uh, where last time we saw Jesus raising the only son of a widow in his uh, funeral procession. Do you remember the amazing compassion in two weeks ago? So today, Simon invited Jesus to dinner at his house, meaning that Jesus was a guest of honor. And Simon wants to know a little more about Jesus. Then unexpected things happen. A woman, verse 37, in town who lived a sinful life, learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume, and she stood behind him at his feet, weeping. She began to wet his feet with her tears, and then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and, and then poured perfume on them. You know, Greek texts, that she lived a sinful life. Literally, she was sinner in the town. And sinner was a euphemism for prostitute. Okay? It's a euphemism for prostitute. It means she was a prostitute by vocation, a whore a social, by social status, a lawbreaker, and the contagion 
in her religious impurity, since she most likely had her Gentile customers, and she fraternized with them. So in one word, she is a spiritually unclean or kind of a disgusting virus. You know, it's like a spiritual coronavirus that Jewish people avoided and despised back then. Now, worse, what she did to Jesus today was a shocking and scandalous. To save time, I'm going to quote a well-known uh, commentary written by a great Lucan you know, a scholar named uh, Joel B. Green, professor of the New Testament at Asbury University uh, Seminary. Now, according to, you know, Joel Green, he said this, within a cultural context where women were readily viewed as a temptress and or sex object, all the more, given her apparent reputation as a prostitute, her action on the whole would have been regarded, at least by men, as a erotic. What she did to Jesus appeared to be erotic. Those of you who don't know what erotic is, ask your parents. And uh, letting her hair down in this setting would have been on a par with appearing topless in public today, for example. By the way, according to Jewish Talmud back then, any woman who put the hair down, such a behavior is a legit, legit cause of a divorce. The only place where a woman could or should let her hair down was her bedroom. So you get the picture, right? She, could have, she would have appeared to be fondling Jesus' feet like a prostitute or slave girl accustomed to providing sexual favor. It is no wonder that Simon entertains serious reservation about Jesus' status as a holy man. End of quote. Now, this is seemingly erotic acts of a, acts of a prostitute today teaches us essential truth about authentic worship. Yes, for me, this story is a story about amazing worship. And the authentic worship is an amazing worship. You know, if a worship of a God Almighty who so loved me is not amazing, I don't know what else is amazing. I know some Baylor fans were, you know, amazed when Baylor beat Kansas yesterday. But compared to Christ's victory for sin, I mean, over sin and death, you know, that's a fart. Seriously. Nothing. March Madness is just fart. Nothing is more exciting and amazing than our God. And uh, so today I want us to examine our heart of worship. You know, we do worship every Sunday. Some of us do, you know, every day. But here, in this story, we can reflect on question of authentic worship through this prostitute and Pharisee and then the prophet and savior Jesus. So first, this sinner, or prostitute, unnamed prostitute, represents a true worshiper. She is a true worshiper. And there are several things that I'm deeply challenged by this woman. First of all, true worshiper is proactive. It's proactive. 
There are many reasons why this woman could have stayed away from Jesus and not worshipped him today. First of all, she was not invited. She was not wanted. She might be expelled. She would be scorned, and she was. She knew the attitudes of the Pharisees like Simon and his friends toward her. In spite of many difficulties, she came to express her gratitude and love to Jesus. She could have waited for a little more comfortable, convenient you know, place to meet Jesus, but she did not wait. She boldly, proactively came to worship Jesus. How about us? Are you a passive worshiper or a progressive worshiper? You know, I'm so glad that uh, more people are coming on time to worship. Seriously. Yeah, it really encourages me. You know, uh, I'll be honest with you. I'm from South America, so I know Hispanic time. Okay? I, you know, I'm not offending any Hispanic. They, if they, you know, over there, punctual means 10 minutes late. You know, you come on time, you came early. You know, so I don't have any personal qualms about punctuality. But we are not living in South America. We're living in America. So people are coming late to the church. I have a little concern. Because we are not late to our work. We are not late to our school. We are not late to our date. What, what made you to, you can come to church late? I'm not even late for the movie. I'm afraid that our lateness reflects Lack of our seriousness and the respect for God. But we are doing much, much better. So hopefully this is the last time I say. So, you know, today I was so impressed by you. Not many times that I'm impressed by, I'm sorry, you. You came on time. I'm so impressed. I was, I said, oh, I cannot preach that point today. They all came on time. So thank you. God bless you. Keep doing it. Second, true worshiper is preoccupied with Jesus and Jesus alone. The fact that there were those who present who disdained her did not matter to her because she cared only about what Jesus thought about her. She did not care if others despised her and misread her devotion to Jesus. What mattered to her most was what Jesus thought about her. Her worship was focused on Savior and her Savior alone. And true worship is all about Jesus. Amen? True worship is all about Jesus. It's not about church facilities or worship performance. It's not about the praise team, public prayer, and the preaching. I don't care if a worship place is nice like this new facility or old warehouse or even parking lot. Wherever I can focus on Jesus, there I can have a true worship. Amen? Worship is all about focusing Jesus. Because Jesus first focused on me and you and found us and fought for our salvation on the cross. So how do you evaluate your Sunday worship service? What is your focus during the Sunday worship? Do you give a thumbs up and down to the praising team? Oh, today is a praising. There are two, two new songs. You're not supposed to do two new songs, maybe one song. Oh, you were off. You see, your, your, your tone was off. Or even preaching. You know? Oh, today's sermon was long. It's going to be long, if you think. Okay. Praising, preaching 
are not our ultimate focus of our Sunday worship. They are utilities for us to focus on Jesus. So are you preoccupied with Jesus now or something else? Third, true worshiper is a prostrating. Worship takes place at the feet of Jesus. The proper position for our worship is at the feet of Jesus. Here, the feet of Jesus mentioned six times in our text. While Simon did not even do justice to our Lord's head with a perfume or oil, the woman was only comfortable at Jesus' feet. She kissed them, washed them, and dried them with her hair. She did not feel worthy to do otherwise. You know, this is her erotic act of worshiping at the feet of Jesus is actually proleptic act. Do you guys remember proleptic act? You know, things that in the future at the end are revealed at the middle. Because according to book of Daniel and book of Revelation, at the end of the story when people will find out that Jesus Christ is a truly son of God and the Lord of all, we all prostrate, fall before his feet. Now, worship at the feet of Jesus acknowledges his greatness and our unworthiness, his perfection and our sinfulness. And the one commentator also thinks that Luke's focus on Jesus' feet is actually related to Isaiah 52, verse 7, which says, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news. Feet of those who proclaim peace and feet of those who bring a good tidings. Feet of those who proclaim salvation. Feet of those who say to Zion, your God reigns. Imagine somebody comes to Ukraine people. The Russian army is left. We won. Can you imagine the joy You know, while anointing has symbolized the kingly identity of Jesus, you know, biblical scholars say that anointing feet indicate the future destiny of Jesus the king who went to the cross as his throne to win the victory for us. Lastly, true worshiper is a presenting rather than procuring, procuring. Worship is not concerned about receiving something from our Lord, as a giving something to him. You know, Jesus approached by many people in his time, and most of them wanted something from him. Uh, by the way, I do not wish to minimize this or condemn it. If I lived in Jesus' time and I were blind, I wouldn't want to come to Jesus for him to restore my sight. But this woman's worship was expressed by her giving to Jesus, not getting something from him. You know, too often... Our prayers are like a wish list uh, for Santa at the Christmas time. And too seldom, our prayers are praise and adoration alone, without any request, where our only desire is to be in the presence of Jesus forever. Amazing worship of Jesus always leads to amazing grace. And amazing grace leads to lead us to heartful gratitude, and overflowing joy. By the way, the worship of this woman was done without any word. 
Do you see while the, uh, our Lord spoke to this woman? And I bet that she actually said some word. But Luke did not record any word that she spoke. Why? Luke didn't find it necessary to record any word from her. Because some scholars, biblical scholars, have a very plausible you know, uh, speculation that uh, Luke, you know, Luke is a disciple of uh, uh, Apostle Paul. And when they served the church in Corinth, you know, that Corinth, there's some woman who wants to really speak out in the church. You know, this kind of unruly, you know, woman who wants to kind of impress other people, their spiritual gift of tongues and whatever, you know, spiritual gift. So some, some, scare, some, some, some kind of connect this to the look, trying to say the real worship. It's not about speaking. It can be done silently. Because the essence of worship is a heart-to-heart communication. You know, worship is not about articulation and rhetorics and eloquence. It's all about appreciation and affection. John Bunyan, the author of Pilgrim's Progress, once said, In prayer, it is better to have a heart without words than words without heart. And I think in the worship, same thing. It's a better to have a heart, you know, without words than words without heart. So even when we sing songs that we don't know, or tunes and melodies are not comfortable, or, you know, it's hard to follow, we can still say the word from the heart, and God will receive our worship. Now, let's look at the Simon the Pharisee, the skeptic, who represents a troubled worshiper. We are told in the verse 39 that Simon was thinking to himself, if this man were prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this was and who was t- touching him, for she is a sinner. Not only is a Simon disgusted by this uh, woman who is a sinner, he is also disgusted that Jesus allowed it. Simon then begins to question that Jesus is a, even a prophet. So he's thinking men of God don't allow this sort of things to happen to them. At that precise moment, he misread Jesus and prejudged him. Jesus ministered to Simon with his timely parable. And I might say omniscient reading of Simon's mind. Look at the verse 40. Jesus answered him. Did he ask a question? He didn't ask. You know, he was talking to himself. But Jesus answered Simon. That means Jesus knew Simon's you know, heart and the question. And Simon, I have something to tell you. In Jewish you know, language, if you call someone by first name, it means uh, respect and uh, you know, affection. So Jesus actually being a very affectionate toward the Simon. You know? And and then Simon said, tell me a teacher. And then Jesus gave a very simple, you know, uh, parable, which doesn't require any major theological, you know, uh, preparation or even, you know, linguistic, you know, understanding to know. Jesus said there's a one person who owes 50 denarii, the other guy 500 denarii. One denarii is a, 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 wage, a, a day's wage. So let's say that 50 denarii, you, $100 a, a day is a fi- 50 days. 5,000. One guy owed 5,000. The other guy owed him 50,000. Both of them couldn't pay. Back then, if you don't keep their money, what happened? 
You don't get the credit card, you know, max out your credit card. You go to jail. And uh, this lender graciously canceled out their debt. Canceled out their debt. By the way, some uh, scholars, they say Jesus, you know, the reason that Jesus expressed the forgiveness of sin in this kind of transactional, you know, analogy is that when we receive God's gracious, generous forgiveness, we also become a gracious and generous to poor people, poor people who might owe some money to us at the time. Now, Simon replied that I suppose the one who had a bigger debt forgiven, you have judged correctly, Jesus said. You know, Jesus is too nice. What are you talking about? He judged it correctly. Even, you know, kindergartners know that, right? Jesus is so kind to this skeptical Pharisee who prejudged him. You know, our Lord never refused anybody to invite him, even his enemies, even those who eventually took kill him. Now, then Jesus turned with, you know, to the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? And now Jesus bringing the truth out. I came into your house and you did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she had poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I'll tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. As of her great love have shown, but whoever has forgiven little loves a little. I've just, you know, actually I was meditating on this and that Jesus even saying that uh, you love me a little. You know, Simon didn't love Jesus a little much. He was a very perfunctory. He actually failed as a host. He didn't treat Jesus as a guest of honor properly as others. Now, important thing is this. Point of Jesus' parable is not that Simon was lesser sinner than the prostitute. But she realized God's forgiveness of her sin more, better, greater, deeper than Simon. That's the point of a parable. Do you get that? It's not about Simon is better than this woman. The point is this woman realized God's forgiveness better. You know, Simon's problem was that he was not desperate for worship or God's forgiveness of a sin. Why? Objectively speaking, he thinks he has a less sin for God to forgive. And also his Pharisaic faith in the legalism kind of made him self-confident and then almost dangerously, you know, deceived. Simon knew the scripture. He attended his synagogue more faithfully than most people, let alone the prostitute. But notice this. This Simon, devout Jew, failed to worship today. Failed to worship Jesus today. Actually, he failed to even give a customary treatment of a guest of honor to Jesus. You know, Simon was, a, at best, was a, you know, a perfect, I mean, perfunctory and a shallow. He prejudged Jesus. All his biblical knowledge and theology did not lead him to worship Jesus, but actually kept him 
away from Jesus. So, I'm afraid that some of us are like Simon. You know, we attend the church every day. Some of us attend church more than other people. But like Simon, do we all, do we really see the focus of our worship? On this note, allow me to sidetrack, sidetrack something important, something critical in our time. You know, I dedicated my uh, Lenten daily prayer along with the general prayer and uh, our church prayers to Ukraine people. And, uh, we, and uh, I, I hope we all pray for Ukraine, but we also must pray for Russians who are standing up against Putin. And the uh, Ukraine war is not with uh, Russia, but with uh, Putin. We have to know that clearly. And I heard the news that there are many protests and demonstrations against the war in many cities in Russia. And Russia media are controlled by government and they don't report it. And then when I heard some of the stories about Russian protesters, my patriotism for America was a deeply challenged, almost a shame. Because do you have the picture that, you know, this was just two days ago, uh, I, you know, uh, St. Peter's, you know, Peter's Grad, where, and uh, the banner they are holding said, uh, Ukraine, peace, Russia, freedom. That's the banner they are holding. In America, when you do a peaceful demonstration and then somehow you are arrested, how long do you go for jail? Maybe a couple of days, a week, that's all. Over there, you go over them more than a year. 3,000 people last couple of days were arrested in Russia. 3,000 people. And some of them will be, in, will be jailed more than a year because the Russian government, they use, some of them are more dangerous, they're going to keep them longer. So this demonstration is not an exercise of a freedom of speech that you and I know. They are being a peacemakers. That shames me. And in America, we have this great privilege and blessing and tradition of a freedom of speech and the freedom of religion, and we better keep this a constitutional blessing. Amen? Never take for granted. Never take for granted. Our world... I'm afraid it's getting darker. If we don't really don't stop putting here, all of the bad actors in the world, they will be, you know, they, they say, oh, he gets away, I'm going to try. Seriously. You know, CCP, Chinese Communist you know, Party, seriously looking at this incident because this can be there. If everything goes well for Putin, you, won't be so, you will not be surprised that China will attempt what they want to attempt with Taiwan. And Taiwan is not just one country. Taiwan, folks, we have a serious national security you know, of breaches. Now, Simon's worship is a troubled and almost failed. I, I said almost because we don't know what happened to him. Hopefully he, he repented. Simon is somebody who went to church, you know, synagogue and temple yet failed in his worship. And that gives us a very important teaching point about sin. 
You know, Simon's understanding of God's forgiveness of sin is very shallow. Once again, he thinks that whatever gap created by sin, his affairs, a, you know, you know a religious practice can bridge the gap. Now, I want you to understand that what is a sin in the Bible? Sin in the Bible is not crime. It's not moral and ethical. Sin in the Bible is relational. The greatest sin is not to acknowledge God, who God is. That God's you know, authority and God's love for us. Sin is missing the main point about God. That He is the Lord. He is the Savior. That we have to love Him. And then when we fail to recognize God's love for us, you know what happened? Many times, I just become automatic with uh, myself and my love for myself. Because when I forget that God loves me more than I love myself, I just assume that I love myself more than anybody else. And uh, I'm good to, uh, you know, I am good to myself. I better follow my idea of my life more than anything else because I love myself better than anything else. But you have to know God loves you and me more than you and I can love ourselves. God loves me more than I love myself and I can love myself. So forgiveness of sin is not just, you know, a lot of times evangelical Christians we kind of look at the forgiveness of sin as a passive event. Ah, Jesus died on the cross. Paid the price of my sin. Transactional. Done is over. Sin is not knowing God's love for us. Sin not recognizing God's heart for us. You know, recognition of sin is not a, just a one time. It's a deepening, deepening reality. Everyday repentance happens. Not to be saved and go to heaven, but to know deeper level of God's love for you. You know, Karl Barth, some of you take a cornerstone, you know, is, is my hero. Someone said greatness of Karl Barth's theology is that he knows the task of a theology is to begin at the beginning anew again. By that, you know, it means this. Karl Barth knows the beginning of everything is God's grace. Foundation of a Christian life is the grace of God. And so every time he talked about grace of God, it's not just a repetition of what he said before. He goes one layer deeper. And that's where you'll be surprised. Oh, there is a different dimension. And then go one more and one more. The more we know forgiveness of God and the more we know grace of God, the more we realize we belong to God and we want to belong to God. This past week was really uh, tough for me on one regard. That is, uh, I have uh, uh, two full days of uh, conference, and then evening I had a uh, you know, Bible study. So I didn't have any time. So I was looking forward to uh, you know, thir- uh, Wednesday and Thursday. And then the, the in- inclement weather of Texas came back again. So I checked it out and said, oh, it's not, you know, I can, I can walk. So I stepped out, and I slid. And then, who is that, Brian Ting? You know, a couple of weeks ago, he said, he told me that the first, you know, uh, ice storm, he fell 
major in the parking lot, uh, you know, toward the fitness center. So he, he really hurt himself. And the, so I remember that. As I was splitting, I said, I'm going to be second Brian King. What should I do? What should I do? That's split of second. I said, instead of just resisting falling, fall fast. So I felt like, a, a, what is a baseball, you know, a player. In the process, I seizured my, my leg. And I didn't know I could have seizured like that. I, I thought a minute that, uh, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tore something in my, my bottom. I don't know what. And uh, I crawled back to my house. It all happens, you know, five feet of my house. So I crawled back to my house. Now, the reason I share is this. What I miss, after Bible study at nighttime, I go out to walk. And... Uh, I, you know, whatever, listen to podcasts, but I, uh, always, I, like 10 minutes, I look up the sky, and when I see the star, I'm just amazed. The universe is so huge. I'm nothing but a speck. But you know what? As Pascal said, I am greater than universe. Even though universe is greater than I, size-wise, but I know greater than universe. This is a famous Pascal say that man is a thinking weed. You know, even though man is a weak, like a weed that you can tweak, but man is thinking weed. Thinking what? What, what was the thinking matters? Man and I know, even though I'm a speck of a universe, I know God who created the universe loves me more than universe. God loves me that he gave himself his own son for me. So when I, at nighttime, when I look at the sky, and then, you know, I become a very philosophical. I become a very essential. Well, what am I? You know, nature tells me, you're nothing but a speck. You're dirt on universe. Nobody cares. But when I look at God and Jesus Christ, I'm a world to God. I am blessed. I am so important to God. Even if I die today, I know I am the blessed person in the whole world. I'm the luckiest guy because knowing how much God loves me, yes, I am the blessed. And the knowing, that was not just a rhetoric, but happened through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, I know. I know the truth, and I am the blessed. Now, let me go quickly to the third point. The most amazing part of the story today is not actually what this prostitute did, but what Jesus did. And that was Jesus did not stop the woman. This woman's risky action of love is not the only surprising thing in this story. Jesus' response is equally shocking and scandalous. Jesus doesn't stop the woman, but allows her to continue to groveling and weeping at his feet. Rather than kicking the woman off, Rejecting her or restraining her misreading erotic act, Jesus simply allows her to continue to show him her deep appreciation and affection. Once again, this is what really throws off the dinner party's guests. They can understand the prostitute barging and doing this. She's a sinner. She doesn't know anything better. And she's doing for her own you know, economic interest. But Jesus allowing this, that's unthinkable. 
How could a respectable religious leader, a man who claimed to be a prophet, allow such a things to happen? But Jesus did. Why? Jesus allows us to express our love to him. It doesn't matter what form and shape and shade our you know, worship takes place as long as it's done in the spirit and truth. You know, amazing worship is possible because Jesus' love for us is amazing. Amen? Jesus is amazing. That's why his love is more amazing than anything. That's why amazing worship is available. And Jesus not only accepts her worship, but guess what? He affirms her faith. Verse 48, Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. And the other guests began to wonder, who is this that can forgive the sins? Jesus said to the woman second time, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Your sins are forgiven. Does that mean Jesus forgave her sin because of her worship or erotic act? Her worship was a fruit of God's forgiveness. You know, Greek verb to forgive is a perfect tense. That means your sins have been forgiven, meaning that she's been already forgiven before she did this. And the amazing worship comes from, again, amazing grace. And if God forgives her, even if Simon doesn't forgive her, that's it. Now, why did Jesus publicly tell her that her sins are forgiven and she is saved and she can go in peace? Listen to me. Jesus made this public declaration confirm not only God's forgiveness for her sin, but also future as a child of God and member of a God's covenant community. You know, in the Old Testament, when priests sees the uh, a leper who was healed, you know, completely healed, what does a priest do? Priests welcome the person back to the community, you know, offer the sacrifice, and they send the person in peace. Likewise, Jesus was telling her, from now on, live out your faith boldly and publicly, confidently, because God accepted you. Go in peace. This is a worship. You know, a great Pentecostal pastor, one and only Jack Hayford, pastor of, uh, you know, uh, North Hollywood uh, Church, that, uh, church on the way, he said, worship changes a worshiper in the image of a one worshipped. Worship, true worship changes a worshiper in the image of a one who is a worship. When we worship correctly, we become bold, confident, and loving, and reaching out to others like Jesus. Amen? Let me close the sermon with a question. What is a Sunday worship to you? Is it just a Christian ritual? Why do you come to Sunday worship? What is your focus of a worship? Do you live Sunday worship with a grateful resolution to be better new creation for Christ? Or do you look for another inspiration or emotional boost? I don't think this woman returned to the old life of a prostitution after today's worship. Probably she already left it before she came to even to Jesus. But definitely, after her proclamation, she had a peace like a river and joy like an unending sea billows. Her worship of Jesus became a joy and power for a new life. Let us worship God. Let's pray.